Welcome to Oklahoma Music Legends. Now, I'm your host, Tommy Henshaw. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege to sit down with Dr. Hugh Foley, who, among other things, is a professor at Rogers State College over in Claremore, Oklahoma. He's the author of two books on the subject of Oklahoma music, Oklahoma Music Guide, which is 784 pages of simply the most complete reference guide available on Oklahoma music and Oklahoma music makers. His other book, Just for Kicks, Oklahoma Route 66 Music Guide, references the music, music venues, and the music makers found past and present who are from or found along famed Route 66 here in Oklahoma. By the way, both are sitting on my desk as we speak. Dr. Foley is, in my never-to-be-humble opinion, the number one authority on Oklahoma music. We sat down to record an interview. Unfortunately, due to operator error, me, I only captured about 18 minutes of that interview. In that time, Dr. Foley held class on a topic that is not widely known and certainly was an eye-opener for me. Now, when you think of Oklahoma music, of course, you know about the country music makers and the rockers, both past and present. What I did not know is in the 1920s and the 30s, Oklahoma was a hotbed for jazz. That some of America's most celebrated jazz performers were from Oklahoma, and the hub for jazz in the Southwest was Muskogee, Oklahoma. Now, who knew? Jazz is best defined in this way, a type of music mostly of black American origin which emerged at the beginning of the 20th century, characterized by improvisation, syncopation, and usually a regular or forceful rhythm. Brass, woodwind instruments, and piano are particularly associated with jazz, although the guitar and occasionally violin are also used. Styles include Dixieland, Swing, Bebop, and Freeform Jazz. Thank you, Mr. Webster. In future episodes, we will explore in depth some of the jazz performers Dr. Foley discusses in this episode. But for now, sit back. But for now, sit back and enjoy our first class with Dr. Foley as he discusses Oklahoma music and Muskogee, Oklahoma's influence on jazz. Hey, stand by for the story. We're here in Claremore, Oklahoma, on the campus of Rogers State University, where we have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Hugh Foley. If he's not the, the best authority on Oklahoma music, he's certainly among the top two. Thanks. Dr. Foley, thank you for this time. I'm happy to be here, Tommy, talking about something I care a lot about. Well, obviously, you know, you created this what is it, 784-page, yes. fact-filled uh, reference guide on Oklahoma music. And it's the amended or the uh, yes, revised the, version. The updated version from the earlier one, yes. So how did you even get started doing this? Okay, well, I'll tell you the story. I was going to college in New York at New York University. And at the time, I was living with my father. And he is a... Uh, lifelong drummer 
and also a big jazz fan from the 60s. And so I was out in the garage and I was looking through some of his books and I found a box of jazz books. And so I just started looking at them and looking through and I started to notice Muskogee, Oklahoma as a birthplace of some significant musicians, namely Jay McShann, Don Bias, Barney Kessel. I went to Muskogee High School and I never knew that there were significant jazz musicians from Muskogee. So I started looking into it more. And that's really the genesis of all of this, was finding out that there were significant musicians from Oklahoma who are known internationally, but not recognized here in the state. So a couple years goes on and I get more interested and informed about Oklahoma history and Oklahoma music while in New York. It gave me an opportunity to collect some unique things there and I met the author Robert Palmer who wrote a book called Deep Blues. That's one of the primary books about the Delta Blues tradition. And I was talking to him about being from Oklahoma and he said, well, you know about the Oklahoma City Blue Devils, right? And I was like, no. And so he said, well, you need to look them up because if you're going to talk about Oklahoma jazz, you have to know who the Blue Devils were. So then I started looking into that whole story and what they represented in the Territory Band era and then how they largely became the Count Basie Orchestra and were this training ground for significant jazz musicians. And so the more I looked into it, the more I learned. It, the web just kept expanding. So when I finished my work there, I was trying to decide what to do and I wanted to go ahead for my PhD. And so I applied to Oklahoma State University because they had a unique dissertation program there where a person could decide or propose what they wanted to do and perhaps it would be approved. So since I'm not a formally trained musician, I didn't want to go through the music department, we took a critical and historical approach to the musicians from Muskogee. Why did so many significant jazz musicians come from the relatively small town of Muskogee? And then that became my dissertation, Origins, Development, Critical Significance of Jazz from Muskogee, Oklahoma. So as I started to go down that path, next thing you know, I was in the library, in the Muskogee Public Library, and there was a newspaper reporter that somehow caught wind that I was doing something about the history of jazz in Muskogee. So he contacted me, I think the librarian referred him to me, and he wrote a story in the Muskogee Daily Phoenix about my interest in jazz. And this is mid-1990s from Muskogee. And there was a gentleman named Tony Kai in Muskogee who just started the idea of an Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame. And so once he saw that I was uh, some kind of music expert, although at that time I certainly didn't know as much as I do now, he contacted me and said, hey, we're thinking about doing this here in Muskogee. And I said, okay, well, that sounds exciting. And so once that happened, I was involved in the Hall of Fame as a founder from the very first show in 1997, where one of those Muskogee jazz musicians, Claude Fiddler Williams, was inducted alongside Patti Page, Marl Haggard, and Woody Guthrie, and also uh, Eddie Burris, who is the co-writer of Okie from Muskogee. So once the Hall of Fame is going, and then on top of that, I am doing my research into Oklahoma music history and specifically jazz history at that time. I also was involved in radio. I've been in radio since I was 16. 
So I was working at a radio station in Stillwater, and as a result of that, I'm learning a lot about the local music of Stillwater, the red dirt scene, and all of that. And so that sort of started to dovetail into my Muskogee jazz history work, in addition to my work for the Hall of Fame. And I'm also starting to teach up here at Roger State, so I get more involved in this area. And of course, Patty Page Boulevard is here. Exactly. And we have that whole history in this immediate region. And Gene Autry has connections here to the railroad station in Chelsea where he was playing. And where Roger, Roger saw, him. saw him there and all of that. So um, I'm just right in the middle of it all. And the next thing you know, uh, people are just more interested in it. And this is before really there had been the boom in Oklahoma music that has really taken off over especially the last 10 years or so. So uh, the opportunity came up to write a book, and so I started putting the Oklahoma Music Guide together with a colleague at Oklahoma State, and we worked on the first version together, and then he retired and passed away, and as a result of that, it was all up to me at that point. And so I just took it on. And what I do is keep a constant set of updated files at my house and do things like I have a Google search alert so that if any article comes out on the Internet that has Oklahoma and music in it anywhere in the article, then I get a notice of that. And I can see if it is in any way pertinent. That helps me kind of keep up mm -hmm. with things. Uh, in addition to that, I'm the program director at KUSH in Cushing, where we're an Americana station, and we play Red Dirt music and all of that, so I have a lot of music coming through there. And so I just keep working on the book, and now it's in the stage that it's in now, which is, it's the second edition, but about the fifth or sixth printing, I think, which allows me to make changes or fix mistakes that we find in the book someplace, and so uh, that's really how it came about, was uh, it really all started in my father's garage back there in New York, and then a sense of homesickness being in New York, kind of romanticizing Oklahoma from mm -hmm. afar, and then wanting to come back here, and then once I got involved, starting to uh, really get into the, the true history of Oklahoma, and then how music comes alongside that history, and then also wanting to celebrate the diversity of Oklahoma music. We tend to think of Oklahoma music in a couple of ways if we're not from Oklahoma. If we know it all, the country artists from the state, they're all first namers. You know? Exactly. And so we all know Reba and Carrie and Toby Garth. and Garth and okay, so we got all the first namers. And then we have a lot of people who are from here from the days gone by of the exactly. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and so forth that people may not be aware by and large, what the recent survey said was that most people know the song Oklahoma, which was not composed by an Oklahoman, obviously, but is our state song as a result of George Nye and, and his decision to bring a positive spin to what was going on in Oklahoma in the 1950s. So um, that's where we are now, is I just try and keep up with the stuff, and you know, at some point somebody's going to have to take it over, because uh, we're only human, we're only going to last for so long. Yeah, we're closer to the... To the end than we are at the beginning. Right, so closer to the coda than the intro, as they say. <laughs> so uh, what I'm trying to do is just uh, update it as I can at a certain point. I'm sure all my materials will be turned over to the OK Pop Museum, sure. most likely, uh, that extension of the Oklahoma History Center. 
where uh, so many things are happening there that are going to historicize all of this that we're talking about. So why Muskogee? Now, I, I met with uh, Mr. Bourne, who's the curator mm -hmm. at the, uh, mm -hmm. down at uh, Muskogee, and he was telling me the story about the railroads coming through. Well, you mean why Muskogee and Jazz? Why or? Muskogee and Jazz? Oh, okay. Well, that's the story with Muskogee and Jazz is intrinsically tied to the Muskogee Creek Nation and the Muskogee Creek Nation uh, being removed before it was a Creek Nation from Alabama and Georgia to Indian Territory. And alongside that came slaves of African descent. In addition to that, the Muskogee Creeks had a little more liberal policy toward people of African descent. So often they could buy their way out of slavery, they could marry their way out of slavery. In addition to that, the people of African descent were very helpful in the early days of the Indian Territory Creek Nation because they could speak English and Creek, and so they became translators. When the uh, white missionaries were kicked out of the Creek Nation, it was the blacks who became the preachers because they could speak both languages. So when you start to look at that, and Muskogee being, you know, what it is, which is before the railroads are there, it's where three rivers meet. Mm -hmm. So you've got a meeting spot. Fort Gibson is right there. And that's where uh, the removals of the Cherokees and Creeks ended. So you have the, the slaves of African descent, uh, sort of liberally moving into society. And so after the Civil War in Muskogee, you have a very strong black business district and social status. So there were black attorneys, there were black newspapers, there were uh, black clothiers, there were um, just every kind of black business that you could imagine. Way pre-Tulsa and the Black Wall Street, Muskogee is a very dynamic black community. So that's why Barney Kessel uh, comes out of the environment he does. He's from a Jewish family. Uh, the, the Jewish people were clothiers. Uh, most clothiers would not allow a black person to try clothes on. And if they didn't fit, put them back. If they tried them on, they had to keep them. So Barney Kessel's father had a store, clothing store, on South 2nd Street in Muskogee. And so that's why Barney Kessel lived on South 2nd Street. And it was on South 2nd Street that had a whole string of bars and you know nightclubs and perform a big performance place I think it was called the Grand Hall or the Great Hall something like that but in fact South Second ended where the Midland Valley Depot was and the Frisco Depot was where all those train stations were so people could get off the trains and then go on South Second and hear all this music in addition to that bands traveling through Muskogee Oklahoma's always been a travel day for musicians going from Kansas City to Dallas or going from you know Memphis to Albuquerque or, or something St. Louis to New Orleans wherever it's a travel day and so as a result of that same thing existed back in those days and Oklahoma was known as a place where you could go pick up musicians uh, especially in Muskogee where there were there was a black uh, public school there that had an excellent music program and so that's one of the really interesting things I think about the music of African Americans in Oklahoma is that we produced more black jazz musicians than we did black blues musicians and you have to draw a distinction between those two forms to really get at that but if you look at the most successful black musicians from the state in the jazz category they way outnumber the significant blues musicians although there are some significant blues musicians there's not as many Okay. There's a lot of significant white blues musicians, but not so many significant black musicians. Now, why is that? 
Well, my theory is because of the education system that existed at the time taught musicians how to read, and therefore they could play sheet music. They could play a more complicated form of music, which jazz is, as opposed mm -hmm. to blues, which is not that it's not hard to play or that, you know, whatever, but uh, it's, you know, one, four, five on a pentatonic scale to get technical about, as opposed to jazz, which could be all kinds of different chord configurations and different scales and modes and all that kind of thing. And so um, Muskogee had educated people who grew up in a fairly middle-class environment, went to good schools, I mean the people of African descent, and so uh, so that's essentially why. There was a, a education system in place, the social structure was in place, the um, environment provided plenty of places for them to play, and, uh, and there was a way out because of these band leaders coming through. Band leaders coming in, taking them, but there were a lot of jobs for them. So a lot of the early guys, like a Jay McShann or somebody like that, could have a band and go play in a lot of the communities around Muskogee. Because Muskogee was like the the hub of the wagon wheel of black towns of that area. So if you look at Redbird or Tallahassee or you know any of those uh, black communities mm -hmm. in that area, Muskogee's where everybody went to do business. And of course it was also not just the uh, county seat, but also the federal courthouse seat. And so that's where a lot of the Indian administration happened, and that was where the agency was, and all those things. So Muskogee was quite a dynamic community tolerant in the late community 19th also. century. Mostly tolerant, I would say. There were still divisions between black and white, and that did happen, especially at statehood with Senate Bill Number 1, which was the separate facilities law. So our first law in the state of Oklahoma separated the races in train station bathrooms. It began the segregation. Yeah, Perhaps. by extension, it went you know beyond that. So uh, there's a lot of stories involved there. Uh, Claude Fiddler Williams, you know, he told me that when he went to see a famous jazz fiddler named Joe Venuti, who was a well-known fiddler in the, the 20s, jazz fiddler, up into the 30s, uh, when they went to see him perform at Honor Heights Park, they couldn't watch him. The blacks had to stay behind these big hedges, but to Claude Williams, Joe Venuti's fiddle sounded so beautiful that when he was a little kid, he wanted, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make a sound like that. He wanted to make a, a sound like Joe Venuti was making. And so uh, when they uh, got back, that's what he asked for. And his uh, relatives were musicians. He had an uncle, and I don't know if his dad played or not. But uh, anyway, he got a fiddle, and before too long, I think he got a mandolin first, and then he got a fiddle right after that because the strings are the same, and a lot of people will start somebody on a mandolin and then transfer him to the fiddle. So a lot of ways that music transcended racism there, you know, it went over the hedge. When Louis Armstrong played in Muskogee in the big hotel there, blacks weren't allowed, but they were on the roofs of the buildings across the street so they could, you know, listen to Louis Armstrong play. And it's hard to believe today. Yeah, hard to believe today. Uh, but Muskogee was a very strong black community when the 1921 Tulsa race riot happened. A lot of Tulsa people sent their kids on the train to Muskogee because they knew they'd be safe there because there was a very active and strong black community there at that time. So with regard to how did Muskogee happen as far as all these jazz musicians, you have to understand the, the creek removal, the slaves of African descent, the freed slaves, then the way in which the freedmen worked their way into creek society 
and then the way in which that community was raised up to be a significant economic environment. Wow. And then you go from there to the education, and then from the education to the playing, and then it just goes on from there. In your first book, you have a theory on Oklahoma. Why Oklahoma? And so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about Oklahoma. Do you believe there's any place else in the United States that has fostered or brought up or introduced as many talented musicians, regardless of the genre, than Oklahoma? Well, I think that just sheer numbers-wise, you have to look at a place like L.A. or New York to come up with some comparable things. And, you know, you can't... We, we've produced a huge amount of influential musicians, but, you know, I mean, Duke Ellington didn't come from here. You know, so there there are places mm-hmm. like New York and L.A. where the populations are so huge, uh, of course they're going to produce a number of musicians. But what I think you're getting at is the population numbers that we have. Yes. So what is unusual about Oklahoma is, given the population, it would seem surprising that so many significant musicians would come from here. But I think there's a number of different reasons for that. Well, now, one of the things that, uh, in my research, which pales in comparison nah. to any of yours has done. We're all doing our best. You know, and, and I'm doing my best <laughs> with this. But is that what I've learned is that during the Depression and during those tough times in Oklahoma and the, and the, the Dust Bowl, so many of these musicians as young people or their families left and went to California. You know, that mm-hmm. road of Highway 66 took a lot of talented people sure. out, but it also gave them their opportunity in L.A. Right, no doubt about that. And you can go through the list of significant musicians who left here when they were children with their families, just as what you said. Uh, in addition to that, a lot of jazz musicians left because there really weren't recording opportunities and they could go to Chicago or New York or L.A. and, and do better. And that was the problem with Oklahoma for a long time was we were producing a lot of musicians, but they were leaving and going elsewhere. And what's been interesting over the last eh, 20 or 30 years, I guess, is more musicians staying here or coming back here to live or creating scenes here because the cost of living is so cheap in Oklahoma still. In comparison. In comparison to a New York or an L.A. or Chicago or Atlanta or even Nashville. You have been listening to Oklahoma Music Legends. If you're interested in learning more about Dr. Foley or Dr. Foley's books talked about in this and other of our podcasts, you can find and purchase them from New Forums Press over in Stillwater, Oklahoma, via the web at newforums.com or by calling them at 405-372-6158. Now, please tell your friends they can find all of our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and Google Music Play, or on our own website, www.oklahomamusiclegends.com. Simply click on our podcast page and you'll see all of our episodes. For Oklahoma Music Legends, I'm Tommy Henshaw. Hey, thanks for listening.